Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then they wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96 FM. Yep, Monday morning and it looks as if summer will finally arrive. There was a definite change in it. Last evening, last evening was a lovely, lovely evening and there's a definite change coming and it looks like we'll get a bit of summer at long, long last. In Britain, the Met Office is saying that next week will bring them a European-style heatwave in parts of the UK. Not too sure if we'll get a lick of that. I know that we all need to be worried about climate change and indeed we all are, but at the same time I wouldn't mind a bit of proper summer at the same time. We'll get to that later on this morning. And what the hell was June doing with itself? I mean, I was down at Elton John on Friday. What a gig. What an absolutely awesome gig was Elton John on Friday night. One of the best gigs I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen him a couple of times. That was just stunning. Um, but I was in a fleece. It was cold down at Parky Creek on Friday night, on the 1st of July. Not normal, not normal at all. Good morning to you, 0818 96 96 96. The text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. You can bang us an email, opinion at 96fm.ie. We'd love to get your voice messages on that uh, 083 number, 083 396 96 96. We were talking to Catherine on Friday morning. Do you remember what happened to her? Her mum, her mum was coming through Dublin Airport and 
and uh, had a, shall we say, an altercation with a, a luggage trolley uh, on the moving floor and she ended up with a broken arm because there was no wheelchair available for her. No, it was just a horrible situation for a woman of 80-something years of age. We got a statement back from Dublin Airport Authority and I'll let you know what they're saying to us later in the hour. But uh, first of all, we mentioned this last week. Um, I, I remember seeing the video as you know, I was in Studio 1.5 last week and uh, I got the video sent to me of this incident in Patrick's Star in Blarney Street and it was just a miracle uh, among miracles that nobody was killed or very seriously injured in that particular incident where literally this car just careered down Blarney Street, bounced off a couple of others, did untold damage to them and, and seemed to move on and it's brought a call for a one-way system now to be trialled on Blarney Street and for further traffic calming measures to be considered. Now, uh, Sinn Féin Councillor Mick Nugent. Mick, I thought we talked about the possibility of one-way traffic on Blarney Street before. Am I imagining that? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, No, you're not. Um, We've discussed it before and and myself and a number of the councillors met Tom Coleman um, the Blanchard Community Association at one stage as well and myself and Kenny Collins we brought that to the City Council in terms of even trialling a one-way system but it seems that the City Council um, management don't seem to favour the idea so where we're at at the moment is that the City Council has written to the National Transport Authority the NTA to request funding and do a kind of a survey of the street um, and there's the council will say you know whatever you do in Blarney Street it could affect surrounding areas as well Sun mm. as well road and that so at the moment and we only discussed it at our local area committee meeting last week we're still waiting response from the NTA will they fund that because the council are telling us they don't have the funds to do it themselves it's a long time since I went up and down Blarney Street on any kind of a frequent basis, but I do often remember, and I'd be going up playing gigs in some of the pubs up and down Blarney Street, thinking to myself, the last thing I want to meet is another car coming down against me at any time of the day or night. It's a wonder it was ever not one way. Yeah, and I've been the same myself, and you're going up Blarney Street, and what happens is that people pick up with the speed as well, hoping they won't meet traffic coming the opposite way, and I think the news headlines there highlighted the incident there recently and there was another one a few weeks before that where a car ended up uh, and it's reversed over. That's right. Um, That's right. You know, I so, think I spoke to someone yeah. about that who was literally feet away from it when it happened. That's the thing. Um, so, you know, the incident the other night, is it just pe- are people speeding? Was it stolen car? And then, you know, it's just, look... Mm. Um, no, you'd have to work out what would be the best way to do it as well in terms of a one-way system. But um, like the community association and Tom has written to the council um, with suggestions. But at the moment, we're kind of waiting for a response from the NTA and the council is saying the funds aren't there yeah. locally to do the survey, which is a bit, I suppose, frustrating for the for the local residents and, and even ourselves. And just you know, a protocol be, question, Mick. Um, with regard to it, let, let us say, for example, that the, or for argument's sake, rather, that the council was well disposed to trialling one way. Do they have to get the nod to do it from NTA? I don't think, no, I don't think they would. I don't think they would when it comes to a local 
road like um like Blarney Street. I don't think they would, but I suppose the whole there's a lot of things in the mix at the moment, PJ I suppose with um bus connects and mm. various other things. Um so that's what the council is saying, look, that's why we would need, you know, a comprehensive survey. Um from talking to the people in the council, I think this they don't see one way as working. I think they're talking about ideally if you want to do something there, you could be building out footpaths and maybe mm. removing some parking and mm. to slow down the traffic and that's the way they see it. But we would say, you know, if you're removing parking there, what about the residents and where mm. does the parking go for them, you know? But it, it, it is a, a bit more complex than just putting up a couple of one-way signs. I think, that, to be fair, we, we, we get that. But certainly Blarney Street, I don't know, I've always thought it was way too narrow to be two-way. Nick, thank you very much. We'll see where it goes. That's Councillor Mick Nugent of uh, Sinn Féin. If you live up and down Blarney Street or you have any business up and down Blarney Street, you work there, you shop there... Um, what would you think of a one-way system on Blarney Street? I've always thought, and like I said, it's a few years since I did go up and down it anywhere regularly, but always thought, particularly if I was driving anything like a bigger van or a Jeep with gear in it, I thought, my God, I'd hate to be beating that thing coming down here at any time of the day or night. Your thoughts are welcome at 83 396 Now, the government will issue its spending statement later today. The Cabinet is having a meeting this afternoon and the Government will issue its its summer spending statement or summer economic statement uh, to give some idea of how they plan to tackle the cost of living and some idea of what's coming up in the budget. Danny McConnell is political editor of the Irish Examiner and joins me briefly. It is that, isn't it, Dan? It's a, li- it's a list of the money or a, an outline of the money we have and what we might be able to do with it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, so essentially what this is, this is the first proper step in the budget process and essentially what it does is it just sets out how much money they'll actually have to spend on budget day um, so what we're not likely to see despite the very deliberate kite flying over the weekend from us, all parties in government um, you know about specific measures we're likely to kind of get the detail of that or confirmation of those details today but what we are seeing is a package an overall budget day package of about 6.7 billion and that's about 2 billion higher than what they were forecasting to do uh, only in April so um, they're looking to spend quite a lot of money now the big caveat on all of this is that inflation is causing as one minister described to me last night you know causing absolute havoc across all government departments so a lot of that money, you know, even though it sounds like an awful lot, is going to be eaten up just to kind of stand still. Uh, and also as well, you've got a, a public sector pay deal that is due to be agreed in due course, which will have to be paid for as well. So, you know, while that's a very big headline figure, um, there's a huge amount of it's already committed to, you know, like um, kind of demographic pressures, etc. like that. And then when you so the actual amount of new money to spend will be limited enough. So I think what you're likely to see from Michael McGrath and Pascal Dunn, who say is a very deliberate strategy of trying to dampen down expectations, saying that there is a limit to what government can do, um, because I was getting a strong sense of annoyance um, from within government last night as to the level of, of uh, kite flying and speculation across the media over the weekend. Mm. Pol- politically, it's becoming difficult not for, for Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath not to have something to tell us of a concrete nature when they stand up later. It's, it's becoming politically difficult for them to tell people, you need to wait. It is, absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, they've, they've ruled out the idea of an emergency budget. They've ruled out the idea of doing anything kind of between now and budget day. Um, so this is where you kind of had this kind of rather curious uh, kind of row last week as to whether or not the budget would or wouldn't be brought forward. 
It now looks like, uh, as I had it last night, we're now looking at uh, Tuesday, September 27th for Budget Day, which is two weeks earlier than than, than, than it normally would be. Um, but they are in this difficult position because like, there's no coincidence that Sinn Féin and the other opposition parties have been hammering the government on a daily basis at leaders' questions and elsewhere on the cost of living crisis. If you go back and look at, at leaders' questions since the start of the year, I think it, it cost of living has been on 80 to 82% of the time. There's no coincidence in that the, the opposition can make hay with this. And obviously you're seeing a, a kind of a, um, you know kind of increased unease on the government backbenches as well because they're obviously getting in the neck. Yeah. Um, so what you're likely to see is, is some of these once-off measures. Like So Simon Coven was out yesterday giving voice to this. Like So you're looking at you know, maybe a, a re-rolling of the €200 Euro energy credit at some point later in the year, uh-huh. a kind of a, a Christmas bonus type payment in sometime in the autumn. You know, the, 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 the cut to excise on, on, on fuel is likely to be extended beyond budget day. So these are the sort of measures that they're looking, that are once-off, that are temporary, um, and will hopefully try and, uh, and eke out a bit of comfort for people. Mm-hmm. There are other measures, longer-term measures in terms of childcare, reducing, you know, the fees to college, and also, I suppose, there there is a, a desire that they, the cuts to the reduction in, in public uh, public transport fares are likely to be made permanent. Mm. All of those are longer term and need to be need to be paid for. So what you you know, um, so I think better than expected tax revenues will give the government a bit of flexibility in terms of those once-off measures. But as I said, they're unlikely to get the detail of those today, rather than just kind of the direction of travel. I suppose is yeah. what we're likely to get from the. Leo Varadkar seems to be talking about, and he you know he's been banging this drum for a little while. This thirty percent income tax for people that just about go into the higher rate of income tax at a very low level. He's he's looking at a 30% there. Will he get it ever? Uh, well, it was very noticeable that he was slapped down pretty quickly from his own finance minister, Pascal Dunne, who, who my understanding is not a fan of this measure. Uh, and it's been noticeable that while that matter was kind of very much floated in kind of broad terms by Leo Varadkar earlier this year, he hasn't really been mentioning it now in the last few weeks, so I kind of get the sense that that's less likely than more likely. But the department will issue what it always does. It issues sort of tax strategy papers during the summertime when the dollar's in recess. So if it's in there, it may still be back on the table. If it's not, it'll be very clear it's, it's dead, dead as a dodo. But I think the message for listeners this morning, Danny, to just to, to sum up quickly, is don't mind what you're reading in the papers about this coming and that coming and the other coming. There will be no definites this afternoon. Not in terms of specifics, but what we will get is the direction of travel. So, I mean, the kind of nitty-gritty around specifics is that's what will happen in the budget process in September. What we're getting now, I suppose, is a probably a bit eager kind of government ministers and, and kind of cohorts trying to kind of just try and nullify the opposition by, by giving meat to those sort of possible ideas of what might come down the line. But, <clears throat> but as I said, today we'll hear the big numbers you're not going to get much of the, on the specifics. And, and I do kind of get the sense that uh, Michael McGrath and Pascal Dunn, who will try and, and kind of extol the virtues of, of, of limitations and prudence rather than just kind of give away budgets. So uh, it's, a, it's a fine line, a difficult line for the government to walk, but uh, they certainly are on the horns of a dilemma. All right, OK. Thank you, Daniel McConnell, political editor of The Examiner. There was a story, Adam Higgins had a story in The Sun at the weekend, um, and I noticed it, and I thought, crikey, that's a good one. Um, Leinster House... The electricity and gas bills at Leinster House, they've dropped in recent months. There's a deal. Now, Adam goes into a fair amount of detail about how the deal was struck. but And it's a perfectly legitimate business deal that has been struck. But, but there's a deal between Leinster House and its electricity supplier, which means that while ordinary customers like you and me and the others, we got another hike of 30%, the Irish Sun can reveal 
that government buildings are locked into a cushy three-year gas price freeze. They're frozen their gas prices at 2019 levels and it doesn't run out until the middle of next year. This is despite Putin, this is despite the war, this is despite anything. <laughs> They're locked into a sweet... Now, look, it's a, as I say, it's a legitimate business deal, but Adam's got the details in the sun over the weekend. You'll probably find it on their website. They're not paying any more for their gas or electricity at Leinster House, but we are paying an awful lot more for it in our house. The Cork Diary. On the Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not for profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Do you know, once we got out of our little bit of enforced isolation last week, I went searching for these new tatoes, these new fizzy cola tatoes that I'd seen pictures of and I'm thinking what on earth um, Tato were saying they would be released and then some places seemed to get them and some places didn't um, I don't know if anybody listening has tasted them yet, I haven't but I know that there was a box of them found their way I think down to the Texaco Spa in Formoy, Aaron Morrissey Hello. Did you get a box of them? You did? We got two boxes in. Right. Fizzy Cola bottle ones, yeah. So it wasn't a wind-up? No, it's not a wind-up. No, they're they're real. <laughs> okay, and what, I, I presume you've tasted them? I have tasted them, yeah. And would you, would you, would you be buying a second bag? Me personally, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I, there seems to be some thing going on. Tato said they would be released and then Dublin West got a few boxes and then you got a couple of boxes down to your end but they don't seem to be around mass market yet. Uh, I don't think so, no. It was, it was maybe just by chance they're distributing somewhere in the county just to, just to see what they're like, I suppose. <laughs> they, they sold out pretty quick, like they sold out in a day and a half. <laughs> Did anybody coming come back saying, "Can I get a half a dozen more packets of them?" Uh, no, no. no. <laughs> think same thing myself. I can't wait to taste them, but somehow or other, I don't think I'd be putting them in a tater sandwich for me lunch or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. No. The, the, the fun thing about them is with the kids, right? To see the old faces. <laughs> Yeah, you know, scrunch up and stuff. Yeah, and, and do they? I mean, I'd, I'd I'd be a fan of the the original fizzy cola bottle. Are they anything like the original fizzy cola bottle? Yeah, they they, they smell like the the fizzy cola bottle, and not quite tasting like them. Let's say. Yeah, I know, I know. Do you remember the chocolate? I do. I do. Are they an improvement in the chocolate, or are they going down a, ra- a road they shouldn't be going? Um. In the world of Tato, I suppose it's a bit unnatural, I'd call it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the chocolate is, was a small bit better, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That says an awful lot. Aaron, thank you. That's Aaron Morrissey from the Tesco Spar for Boy. He's got an Apache pizza and a Subway there as well. And they had two boxes of Tato fizzy cola bottles. I mean, give me a break here. I remember someone brought out a few years ago hedgehog-flavoured crisps. Was it Walker's or someone brought out hedgehog flavour? And I'm thinking, who on earth has ever eaten a hedgehog to even know what they're like? But I'd still try them. And if Aaron says that the chocolate was nicer, and at least I think that's what he said, the chocolate was nicer 
and 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 I sort of got through two squares of the chocolate before my breakfast began to want to make a reappearance. Um, I don't hold, hold out much hope for the fizzy cola bottles. I wonder, can you get him? Does any other brand of crisps anywhere around Europe have a fizzy cola bottle flavour? If you're listening to me by a beach in Spain, for argument's sake, and you know there's 150 different types of crisp that you'll get in any shop in Spain, has anybody come across them? And if you're listening in Spain, you could be listening to us on the app or on your tablet, or you might take your Alexa away with you. What you got to do is download the Corks 96FM app. You can listen to us live. You can listen to our podcasts, um, all anywhere you want in the world. And if you've got that smart speaker of any kind, just tell it, ask it to play Corks 96FM. Even more music choice, streaming online all the time, wherever you are. And if you are away and you want to call us if something's on your mind, um, you remember that WhatsApp is free, not just the messages, but the calls. So WhatsApp's free from wherever you are at 083 396 96 96. And if anybody else has tasted the fizzy cola tato, um, let us know. And if anyone's got a packet that they're willing to spare and let me take, I'll, 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 I'll open them and taste them live on air. Be quite happy to do that. 0818969696. The wheelie bin on top of Father Matthew. Did anybody see that at the weekend? Like, I'm sorry, no, but whoever did that, yes, it was vandalism. And it was nat- it was crass and it was bad behavior and all of that. But whoever did it, like, you, you got to stand back and say fair play because that took effort. That really took effort. Uh, it must have taken a couple of people. John O'Donovan was saying, was anyone looking at the cameras in Anglesey Street, as in the CCTV? Did, how, how did they get away with it? Because they didn't just, uh, they didn't just randomly pick up a wheelie bin and, and, and like fire it up there. Do you know, it was mad. And John is saying if anyone was being attacked, would they have seen it in the camera room at Anglesey Street? Which is a fair question. But when I saw the wheelie bin on top of Father Matthew yesterday morning, I said, you know what? Yes, it's vandalism, but you, you kind of got to hand it to them at the same time, don't you? 0818 96 96 96. They have the fire brigade to get it done. That was sensible. On the traffic on Blarney Street, uh, Mags was saying, I always thought it should be a one-way street. Was oh. The first hubcap I ever lost was on Blarney Street as a learner driver when I was pinned to the curb by another car coming towards me. Yeah, a bit like up there, if you know, beyond the um, Montanati Hotel there and out there, maybe near where, where Bonnington is. You know that little narrow stretch there, Mags? You know, really, I used to call that Wing Mirror Alley because I lost at least two going up and down there. So I know what you mean about, about Blarney Street. On the cola bottles, cola bottle tato. Morgan's shop on Tremor Road has the fizzy cola. That Manapple Green in Holly Hills is another message. I've no indi- indication to try them, but I've just found the new Kit Kat honeycomb. Ooh, thank you for that, Terry. Um, that's kind of like a combination between a Kit Kat and a, and a, and a crunchy. The cola, the cola bottle tato were kind of like when Homer and the Simpsons mixed tomato seeds with tobacco and made tomaco. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> 0818 96 
9696. Now, I came across the subject of vaginal mesh injury a number of years ago on the opinion line when I spoke to a solicitor who was representing a number of women and we didn't have an opportunity at the time because they were very nervous to speak to the women themselves but vaginal mesh or the insertion of vaginal mesh was a surgical procedure many many women had it done but a huge percentage of them I mean a huge percentage of them have pain long lasting pain and other complications from the insertion of it the, the former health minister Simon Harris announced in 2017 that they were going to stop doing this in this country it's, it's on pause as it were there are other countries in the world where it's already been banned but last week on around June 29th the Eroctus Health Committee sat and met a number of women from a group called Mesh Survivors Ireland to, to listen to what they're going through and to listen to how they feel what happened to them when they went for this procedure in good faith they feel what happened to them needs to be addressed by government going forward So Catherine you were one of the people uh, who was at that Eroctus committee meeting and thank you for being with me today what is your own story? Hello PJ thank you for having us on Um, my story is um, like a lot of other women went in with good faith trusted my consultant and everything else and didn't work out the way I thought it was and years down the line I'm still in the same pain that I was in the day I got it in. What did you go in to have it done for? We I had it done for um incontinence. Okay. After having my children. After having my babies. So um And what age were you then? I was um thirty nine. Okay. Thirty nine, yeah. And I was 39. It was recommended for you as a way to deal with the incontinence, correct? Yes, it, it was. It was. It was recommended as a quick fix, with no complications, or at least I was told about no complications. And like the other women, I was left in severe pain, and unfortunately, there was no one to listen to me, and. We went to Linster House in November 17 to lobby. Yes. Um, make the government aware of the issues with the mesh. And in 2018, Simon Harris sent out a learning report to the clinicians. And um, thank God we got a pause on it then for a pause on the mesh then for safety in, two, in 2018 in July of that year. And um, the chief medical officer, he put out a report on November of the same year of 2018 with 19 recommendations. Um, he would, there was supposed to be a compassionately engagement in December of 19, but it still hasn't happened. Yeah. Take me right back to afterwards. So how long after the surgery did you realise all was not well? Well, I had a, re- a revisit um, six weeks after. Mm. 
and I honestly thought they had left something inside me. But um, I was told it was in my head. So you had pain straight away? Pain straight away, yeah. Yeah, I did. And God, you know, there's people unaware of what's actually happening to them. And yeah. hopefully after our Oireachtas meeting now, and it's in the media, and we're very thankful for the media, that um, hopefully that women will be able to put the jigsaw together and the pieces will fall into place and they'll be thinking, God, that's what I have. Yes. Tell me about what your day-to-day problems are with it. I mean, I, I take it the pain, is, is it constant? It's constant, yeah. It is constant. Um, it's um, leg pain. I have it in my back, in my vagina, at sciatica. Mobility, like even standing in the one spot is painful. Right. Not to mention walking. I used to walk, but I had to give all that up. So I'm doubling continent as well now. So oh dear. So even the problem it was meant to fix, it didn't fix? No, it didn't fix. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Like, we have um, Minister Harris, in fairness to him, he got us two translebial scanners. Um, they got 1.3 million for the two scanners. Uh, one is in Hollis Street, one is in Cork. Yes. The one in Hollis Street hasn't worked yet. Now, he that's in since last September. They haven't worked. It hasn't scanned one person yet. Cork has done nine nine women. Yes. Because they have they have no one to they have no one to work us. Operate it, yeah. And so, these scanners what do they do? What do they find? It'll actually show where the mesh is. I see. Where the mesh is in your body because it it's actually erodes in your body. Yes. And it's like taking chewing gum out of your hair. That is what it is like. So that wouldn't be a very easy job. That's a very good analogy. And tell me something, Catherine. Hmm. Can they be taken out? If it's all in one piece and it hasn't eroded in you. There's a consultant in America that can do the job. Right. There's a few consultants in in the UK that can actually do it as well. It's not an easy surgery. Because I remember talking about this, you were talking about 2017. I remember talking about it on the programme back around then and at the risk of putting in two simple terms your body grows around this thing that's correct that's correct right. and it arose in your body okay. it's not, it, it was never meant to be taken out when it was put in I see so now it can't be for the most part yeah yeah you can get a partial removal but uh, there's no one with the skill set in Ireland. I see. Um, take it out. What I'd like to see myself is, now it is, it is suspended since 2018, and I'm hoping that it'll never again be reintroduced, you know? Yeah. You tell me if, if I was listening to you correctly, there's more than just pain from around where you had the surgery. You have pain all over your body. I have. I have pain, yeah. It's, just life changing. You just couldn't, like we we as women look okay. Yeah. Everything is in the inside. 
the pain is in the inside and like there's a, there's ladies and they're hemorrhaging from this. There's ladies and they're in the fetal position. You know, like I have to go to bed when I have pain, right. when it gets so bad. You know, it's like, and you can't actually say, well, I make an appointment and say, well, I'll be there that day because you don't know what way you're going to be when you wake up in the morning. So it really um, dictates what way you can live. So you might decide to meet a friend for coffee, say at one o'clock today, and then you could you could realize, no, I, I just can't do that. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And can you take anything for the pain, Catherine? Well, you can, I suppose, take medication, but then does that start another problem? You know, are yeah. you dependent on your tablets then? Yes. Or to keep you going? Like, the thing about it is, this was this was supposed to be an operation that was going to, to change the way we were. And yeah. surely it did change the way we were, but not the way we wanted it to change us. I know. Looking back now at, at it, I mean, like, how do you feel about what happened? I feel it robbed my life. It robbed my kids' life. I can't, I couldn't go to a, a camogie match or a hurley match because I, I needed a toilet. I couldn't stand. I, you know, I have a walking stick. You know, I mean, down the line, what way are we going to be when we are in our 80s, 70s? You know, it's just so unpredictable. It's a constant so, worry then. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And given that the reversal, the removal, is it seems to be, from what you tell me, so difficult and so rare, the prospect of facing into your twilight years, as it were, with this kind of daily constant pain. Mm-hmm. That must be very mentally tough as well. It is mentally tough because, like, I don't want to put the burden on that of, of, of that on my kids. You know, they have seen me sick. They have seen, you know, what I'm limited to do. And, like, I, would, I, I, I wouldn't like to have them thinking, well, I may stay here because mama will need someone to look after her. Mm. That's not fair. That's mm. not fair on them. Like, the government have to sit up and listen to us. You know? Can you drive? Can you do those little things? I, I, I can drive, but it's, it's very painful. Right. It is very painful driving. Someone said to me before as well that they could drive, but that you could get a dart of pain while yes. you're driving, which will throw out That's your concentration. Right. That is right. That is right. And that has happened to me several times. Really? For me to drive comfortably, I think I would need an automatic car, but I can't afford an automatic car. I see. I see. You know? So, in you said 2017, former Minister Harris put a put a pause on, on the use of these things. What is it that you, you and your group want? You want a total ban, correct? Oh, completely. I don't want my children or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren ever have to worry about something like this again. It is life crippling. It should never have been introduced into this country. And what would you like to see our present minister, Minister Donnelly, or whoever will succeed him, what 
would you like to see them do? Well, I would like him to look after the ladies. I would like him, I would like every lady that has a mesh complaint to get a medical card. And I would like to see the translabial scanners mm. up and going and working. Yes. And and patient transfer for the for the ladies to go, go to and from their appointments. Yeah, because with one in Cork and one in Dublin, people in mm-hmm. rural areas. That's right. That's right. Uh, apology from the HSE. Okay. Uh, treatment reviews and the, the tr- treatment abroad scheme. So that if you can access removal surgery, that you don't have to worry about paying for it. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like it, 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 it's a big operation. I imagine it is. It's a big operation. Do you think, Catherine that you'd ever be, you probably don't know, but if you do, you do. You probably, do you think you'd ever be a candidate for that kind of surgery? Well, at the moment, um, I don't know. Right. Did you find you were met with compassion at the Oireachtas Committee? How did you feel you were received? Yes, very much so, very much so. I have to say, the meeting we had with their TDs and their town was very compassionate. Right. Yes, I have to say it was. Yes, well, that was good anyway. And we have to we have to thank um, the Sinn Féin and their Davy Conman for all his hard work and everyone that helped us along the way, okay. including the media yourself, for putting this out here and there now. Because I do believe I do believe, and I've said it from the very beginning, that. Um, this thing has destroyed lives. It has destroyed marriages. It has destroyed homes. There is just so many complications attached to mesh. It's not just the lady themselves. It's their families, their environment, everything. Their jobs, you know. A lot of the ladies had to give up work. And we need, we need, we need something. We need to be acknowledged, and we need for this never to be reintroduced into our country or anywhere in the world ever again. If we can get, if we could get a ban on it, I would be so happy with that. Because I do worry. I, I, I do worry about my kids and about my grandchildren. But that is what I have put up with is horrific, and I would never like to see another person go through what I went through. Yes. And they're still going through. Exactly. Exactly. Catherine, this first came to my attention, um, I would say, about the middle of 2016. And it was after that, I think, that former Minister Harris made the decision to pause. And, And you're right. When we started talking about it first, our phones started to light up and say, hang on, that happened to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have said that from the very beginning because... You know, um, there is there is people suffering from things, and they're wondering why why is it so severe? What you know, what is causing my pain and my disability? And they've never had it diagnosed. Uh, yes, exactly. Catherine, I thank you for being with me today. I I hope that your health holds up as best it can, and I wish you well. Thank you very much, PJ, for having us on and thanks for your support for 
the mesh ladies. Thank you. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Flying you through your afternoons in Cork with all the best tunes, latest news, trending stories, and it really is a summer of concerts on Lee Side. I've got the tickets for you. Did you enjoy the gig? Oh my God, outstanding. I would go to another one tonight if I could afford to. You sound a little bit hoarse there. Uh. A little bit, yeah. I kind of did try and sing a few songs now that I'm very good. In the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Ford Gosh Energy, a summer boiler service keeps you warm in the winter. So get a great deal with FordGoshEnergy.ie on Corks 96 FM. That's the first interview that Catherine has ever given and uh, was quite nervous about it. I think she was really great. And thanks for being so open with us about what she is going through. Uh, 0818 I want to talk to Mary McLaughlin, uh, who's an organiser for Mesh Ireland. And, and Mary, the point I was making there with Catherine was that when this came up first on the programme in around 2016, I think it was, we spoke to a solicitor uh, because none of the women were felt in a position where they could come forward and speak. And I think it's a huge um, development now that the women are starting to speak up because they've been going through hell for years. Many of them, and many of them still going through it quietly and silently. Mary, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. Good, good, good to have you with us. Um, it's much more people than we originally thought are going through these at various levels of pain and discomfort. Yes, it is. And uh, I've been campaigning, I think, since 2016. Uh, and um, this week alone, our group has been about 150 people. I just have people from the island of Ireland on my group. And after the uh, after Wednesday's event, we had 20 people joined our group um, over the last few days. Wow. So, yeah, there's lots of people... They don't talk about it to their families. They're ashamed. Uh, they don't talk about it to their friends. People that don't know what surgery they had. Um, people that um, just don't understand what's going on with them. People who have gone to their GPs. Their GPs aren't really, this is a specialist uh, area and a specialist problem. GPs don't pick up the, the signs, the, the symptoms that the women are having could be related to a surgery that they maybe had 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm. So it's, it's, it's very difficult and, and we're so grateful to the Irish uh, Parliament for, for having us at the committee yeah. and letting us air our views in public. And, and those types of sessions, they're put around the world on all the global mesh mm. groups that we, we try to carry the torch from country to country, and now it's Ireland. Yeah. And uh, I know that at, our, at, our podcast of today's programme um, goes worldwide as well, from beyond, just beyond you. midday. So, Mary, you know, but the numbers of people, the, the extent of the discomfort in which they're listening, the fact that, yeah, you might go to your doctor eight or nine, ten years after you had this surgery, and you might even have a new doctor in the interim. So the doctor, yes. the doctors don't seem to have the awareness yet to diagnose that the problem no. is related to the mesh. 
No, I mean, I, I spoke about data at the, at the committee meeting. Um, the HSE doesn't have data and um, I could give them for NHS England and they had about 100,000 women implanted in one decade and we're talking also about two decades but in one decade and the the, the former England CMO uh, estimated the rate injury the injury rate at 15 to 20 percent wow. and I know here in the north we have um, again only the last decade where they started um, inputting things onto electronic systems and it's not perfect but we had around about 10,000 uh, women showing up on those statistics and again 15 to 20% that's a lot of women waiting on surgeries and most of us have been through these non-surgical solutions but when they don't work you, you know you just think what well, I meant to do another urodynamics yeah. test and meant, yeah. you know you just think I'm not doing that Mary, I'd like to talk to you a bit about the options that are available to people who are suffering as they presently stand. But I need to take a break for the the 10 o'clock news. If if you wouldn't mind holding on for me, we might talk again afterwards. Would that be okay? Okay, absolutely. Okay, We'll speak then. Thank you, Mary. Hear only the freshest hits of 2022. Or train harder while we pump out the bangers. The Hit Mix and the Fit Mix are streaming live right now. On the Quartz 96 FM app. Download it today. Download it today. Listen on your smart speaker or go to 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 0818 96 96 96, your number. <clears throat> the text to WhatsApp or voice message 083 396 96 96. And your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Kate was listening to Catherine and says my heart goes out to that poor woman even an operation now will be traumatic as her body will have grown around the mesh that's the point that Catherine was was making it's it's just a a savage thought you just the the thought in your mind of having to try to go in there and, 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 and fish it out the skill of a surgeon there's only a few surgeons there are even able to do it but the difficulty just must be beyond comprehension. I was talking before 10 with Mary McLaughlin, who's based in Belfast, but she organises the Mesh Ireland group for the whole of the island of Ireland. Like I said, Mary, before 10, this first came to our attention back, I would suspect, probably mid to late 2016, and it was through a solicitor we brought it to air first. Do we know... Mary, at what point in, in sort of the history of this treatment or this procedure, at what point did we begin to realise it was problematic and it was causing difficulties for women post-surgery? Hello again. Hi. Yeah, it was introduced as a mainstream solution in uh, the early 2000s. So 2002, I think, or 2001 is, is Ireland's sort of benchmark. Um, there, there's immediate post-surgery um, uh, complications, and it's often a sign um, that women later on have problems again. Um, but... Yes, the, the medical community has known about these problems um, and it's documented in medical journals. I think the extent of the problem and the extent of the reporting um, was uh, was was not, 
you know, reflective of the true problems they were having. Mm. And then they introduced a different, they, they, they introduced this different product that goes through the groins to address the fact that a lot of surgeons were having problems inserting the earlier version of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the, I've had my mesh removed. Okay. I, I've, I went to America, I was in London, and they were not able to do the operation. And um, I, I went to America, and the surgeon there, he has been practicing full and safe removals for 16 years. He said he used to remove partially, but the women kept coming back with the same mm-hmm. problems. And he, he, he has worked on it, yeah. And may I ask, if it's not too personal a question, is that a very difficult surgery, Mary? Um, for the for for the for, for the you surgeon in terms of for the... me personally, well, um, to tell you the truth, I didn't know what to expect when I woke up the next day. I mean, I flew out with two other women, and I was in the hospital on my own because they'd been operated two days before me, and were back in their hotels. So I didn't know. But um, when I woke up. I wasn't in pain. Obviously, I had pain meds, mm. but I was I was able to discharge from the hospital within 24 hours, and and you know the recovery after that was mostly sleep, and um, because the, he he is an expert in yeah. his field, and I had no bruises. I had very very clean um, um, suturing. Um, he he took pictures of the surgery. Mm. He he came and explained to me what happened, and there had been mesh in my urethral wall, so my bladder pipe wall, and there had been mesh in in the wall of my bladder. And I'd had my mesh in for ten years and and had all the all the Good. types of symptoms that, that other women have. So I was able to fly home from America to Ireland a few weeks later, even though he had to stitch my bladder and, and how are you now, Mary? I am very, very good. So like like Catherine, I couldn't walk and that's because of this mesh in the groin. It's pulling on all the hamstring muscles in your leg. So the more you walk, the tighter that gets. And it can't, why we're so tired and have to lie in bed, the surgeon explained this to me, is because the muscles are being held up by the tape and they can't relax. So the more you walk, the tighter they get and the, and the harder a day you have, the more time you have to rest up lying in bed. Oh God to let your leg muscles release and that's something nobody explained to me in 2017 Mm. when I started trying to get behind this the doctors were saying to me well it's 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 a bladder sling it won't be affecting your legs and so many women phone me and say I can't walk I can't sit so this goes in the whole pelvis area infections walking sitting concentrating because of the chronic pain (sighs) It, 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 it is debilitating. I lay, my, my son told me, I lay 16 hours in bed most days before I flew to America. 16 hours. No. Just lying there I, I, with you, the, all the incontinence it. as well. Oh, yeah. As you describe it, I mean, even I'm sitting here and I'm cringing at the thought of it. So I can't imagine. Well, I'm back I'm... to work now. I've built up my work again. I have no point yet. Uh, work. I work from home. I'm a lecturer, and, I, and online teaching has come to my aid. So I've built up my work generally over the past three years. I haven't seen a doctor about my bladder or my legs, um, or my you know all the pains and symptoms that I had before I went. I haven't been in the health system about that since mm. then. And one of the things that Catherine was saying that the group 
once, lastly, is to be able to access surgery like, and I'm sorry, yes. the doctor's name I had written down, but I've forgotten it. To be able to Dr. Peronicus. Dr. Peronicus, yeah. correct. That doctor, to be able to access that doctor or to be access, maybe access, there is an expert or two in the UK, to be able to access them and not worry about cost and that the government would provide that under the treatment purchase scheme or the overseas treatment scheme. Yes, I have been campaigning for this um, as a main pingpin of my campaign. The Irish government, I wrote to them in 2018 and said that Dr. Veronicus was prepared to come to Ireland and to do like a waitlist initiative right. and stay here a couple of weeks right. and operate every day. He can take two to three meshes out a day or if they're really, really big meshes and might take a whole day surgery. And um, they, they didn't really, they give me a tick note, thank you for your correspondence, but they didn't engage. And I give the same offer to the North. Um, so, you know, I, I've tried to do this. Yes, there are surgeons in, in England that are starting to do this surgery. They only started really removing the meshes in 2019. So we've got 16 years experience of a doctor who, who do, does his operations every day because the American system is different. And is willing to, to come here. Uh, yeah, and he, he 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 was willing to come here. Um, you know, he he engaged with me in a campaign in Scotland to get him there. I took it to Scotland when Ireland didn't act on it, and he was messed about to put it um, mildly. But I'm sure if if somebody, none of the surgeons in the UK would invite this doctor in. None of them, despite all the so so we need we need a, a good hospital. We need good doctors in Ireland who want to help this these women and that would be the quickest way of doing it. The women can fly out and that's why the, the treatment abroad scheme needs to be broadened up. I think there's an exceptional case for an exceptional case of funding that all these women that have these measures, if they're prepared to go abroad and I heard the HSE is working with the credit unions for example, if they're prepared to go abroad and get their surgery done, they'll be well looked after. Um, but you know, we we can't wait around for another couple of years. The surgeon in America is also 63. Yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, a surgeon's health is also his wealth. Um, um, we, we can't wait another five years, another six years. Okay. Our women need to get back to their lives and, and back to some sort of new normality. And, and you are, Mary, proof that the surgery works. And I'm, I'm glad that we came back to you after 10 there for a conversation about that. That's Mary McLaughlin. Thank you, Mary. Based in Belfast, but she's the organiser for the island of Ireland of Mesh Ireland she's had the surgery provided by a Dr Veronicus who as you heard her say is willing to come here and meet and treat some of the women who are struggling and suffering for many a long day I will speak to another of them after the break 0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. So Bernie is uh, living in West Cork in Court McSherry. You had surgery a number of years back, Bernie, after a hysterectomy, I think. Um, and it went wrong for you and you've been you've been suffering since she's gone there, Fergal. Sorry, I'm going to try and get her back. Um She's been suffering ever since. I'll be able to get to her in just a moment. While I have a break in proceedings, as it were, um, just want to throw something out about the Elton John gig uh, Friday. Because um, a lot of people asked me to raise this. And just while we try to get Bernie back, 
what the heck happened with all the blue badge spaces? There was no proper blue badge access for people that needed it. And I was approached by a number of people over the weekend to just put it out there. Who's to blame or who's to answerable for it? Nobody seems to care. It's just there was an awful problem, a desperate shortage of blue band access, blue badge access for the gig on Friday night. Uh, the marquee site has been used before for it. But for some reason, people couldn't get in there. And a lot of the... I understand that Gardaí were stopping people getting down, even with a blue badge, on Friday. No one seems to know what happened with that. Um, so just putting that out there, because I promised people that I would. Um, oh, there was another one as well. This And Cork Bio did some good work into the weekend, and they managed to explain this bus that was supposed to go from Laps Key, or people thought it was supposed to go from Laps Key, and it was widely reported that it would go from... Laps key. That bus never materialised. Both Aaron were saying, we, we, we never actually said there'd be a bus from Laps key. So how the hell did that happen? Can anybody tell me? 0818969696. We're still, still trying to get Bernie back there to chat with her about her experience with Mesh and we'll work, we'll work on that. Um, but just a few more things to clear while I wait. Back to Blarney Street. Tom says, Gerald Griffin Street's been chaos for years. The street narrows and with parking, cars are constantly getting damaged. We've asked for double yellow lines. The Gardaí are there regularly. Something needs to be done about the congestion there. Um, and just come back to, again, we're holding to see if we can get uh, Bernie online. Um, Burr says, on the crisps, the, um, the busy cola... Tato. Oh, I know. Did you ever think you'd see the day or hear the day you'd be saying fizzy cola flavoured Tato? Uh, morning, PJ. It's some in New York, New Ross at the weekend. They're a big no no. People are so welcoming there. Please say hi to all the people at the Green Door in New Ross. I know the place. Nice place. Thanks, Bear. Michael, I'm a regular crisp eater. I normally mix a variety of brands in a large bag. Have you ever heard of truffle crisps? A friend of mine started eating them in the UK. Says they're delicious but very expensive. Fair enough. And I mentioned in passing hedgehog flavour crisps. As always, there's someone who knows more about it than I do. They were originally idea of Philip Lewis, a British pub chain. They came out in 81. What? Crikey. Uh, they were sold under the brand name Hedgehog Flavoured Crisps or by Hedgehog Foods. <laughs> but the Office of Fair Trading had them withdrawn under the Trade Descriptions Act as they were flavoured pork fat and herbs and contained no actual hedgehog. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Not having much luck with Bernie. We'll see where we, what we can do with it. Access all areas on Corks ninety six FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. RSA Fellows Festival Cork Belonging Place and Reconnecting comes to Triscoll Christchurch, featuring poet Thomas McCarthy, Nomi Berry, while Shane Cullen will discuss his acclaimed work, The Agreement. Check out Triscoll's website for further details. Access. 
Legendary prog rockers Yes come to Cork Opera House this Wednesday night celebrating their 50th anniversary and also playing their classic Delayer album. Tickets are available from the box office or from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access All Areas You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas With Harvey Norman and JBL Your specialists in sound this summer On Cork Corks 96FM. Mentioned the marquee there in passing. I see the live of the marquee people have tweeted this morning. Look forward to being back in 2023. Yeah, I think we'll get one more year out of that particular location. But 2023, Life of the Marquis will back. Look forward to it. Speaking of festivals, all the festival headliners continuing round the clock on Cork's 96 FM's Back Garden Festival, streaming exclusively online right now. It's with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen on the app or go to 96fm.ie. But please wait till after the opinion line. That'd be nice. 0818 96 96 96 Now, I have in my hand a, a publication, a new book, which has been written about management of people at the two different sides of the pandemic and how COVID-19 has changed the management of people and a new approach to managing people and managing teams uh, post Pandemic. The author is Dr. Monica Murphy, who joins me. I will, by the way, speak to Bernie later. Uh, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll hear that after. Um, but Dr. Monica Murphy is the author of this book. It's, a, it's, it's an unusual title, um, Monica, The Manager's Handbook for a New World of Work. Your, your premise being that COVID has and must change the way we work and manage. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so the book, I suppose, it's, it was really, I started it before COVID um, in, in the work that I do in my business. Um, for the last 11 years, I've been designing and delivering sort of training, support, coaching interventions for organizations um, and their teams and their staff. Um, so there were certain patterns sort of emerging already, I think, pre-COVID in terms of people's prioritizing their flexibility, wanting more uh, focus on wellness at work, really not being prepared, I suppose, to sacrifice their personal well-being any longer for for a job. And I think the great resignation was beginning before COVID anyway. And then COVID just sped everything up um, and people had time to reflect on how they're living their lives, how they're spending their time, Mm. um, you know, why they were so stressed, the impact on their families, the impacts on their relationships. And I think that's partly what's causing this massive staff shortage that we see currently. So anyway, I began to write the book pre-COVID, as I say, and then uh, it kind of was lucky for me because I, you know, my my work would have taken me traveling a lot. And so then I was kind of grounded and I got to focus on the writing and getting it, uh, getting it committed to, to paper as such. Um, but as I was writing it, obviously, I was I was looking at trends emerging um, in terms of how people will are managed and will be managed in the future. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's some key changes emerging that people can see already. Yeah. One observation just in my own particular circle is that the pandemic has taught us to grasp again and value our work life balance. And a lot of people have have discovered that during the last number of years and said, well, they'll be damned if they let that go 
for a job again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the last hundred years of command and control and, and you do what the boss tells you and the boss says jump and you say how high and work is absolute king and queen and we all serve it. That's gone. And it's if it's not gone for in your in, in you know, whoever's listening in, it's going. And us as employers, and I'm I'm an employer myself, we need to realize that very quickly. And then the managers in our organizations, and this is kind of the title of the book was the manager's handbook, because I believe that managers kind of get a raw deal. You know, there's a lot of titles about leadership and a lot of studies on leadership, whereas managers are those middle people in an organization who literally hold the whole thing together. They've got to make sure there's enough staff on the rota. They've got to make sure that the customers are served, that the orders are sent out. And then the leaders are the people who, you know, strategize and obviously come up with very good ideas and visions and manage the financials. But this book is specifically for managers who Mm. are being handed this complete challenge of how do I do this? How do I manage a team where half of them are at home and half of them are in the office? You know, so it's really to give them a support tool. And it's written, and I'm glad you've received it. It's like, it's it's a handbook. So you can write on it, you can squiggle on it, you can reflect on your own management style. Um, This is the start of something completely new for all of us. So it's just my sort of um, seven chapters on where you get, how you can get started. And Mm. just to draw listeners' attention to chapter two in particular, they are not your people. That's exactly where I was going to go with you, Monica, because they are not your people. What do you mean by that? Well, over the last 11 years, and even before that, when I worked in large multinational organisations, it's not unusual to hear leaders and managers referring to staff as my team, my people, they work for me, they work under me, they report into me. And people don't appreciate that anymore. People are their own bosses. They're their own people. They have their own ideas, their own visions. Obviously, they can be part of an organization and can help to meet the objectives of it. But the idea that you belong to an organization for 20, 30, 40 years of your life is gone. And the sooner we get to grips with that, the better. If we get, if we have somebody now who contributes to our business for two, three, four years, that's that's good. Um, and so it's it's just kind of to remind managers that, and indeed our business owners. The staff are not your people. They do not belong to you. They never were. So, you know, um, somebody all someone has to do is come in with their letter of resignation and the game's over. So really the rest of the handbook is about how you motivate, engage, Mm. build trust, accountability, so that those things don't happen, or at least you build longer, better, more two-way relationships with your Mm. team. How we communicate, you say, is changing. How management or leaders must communicate. The, the, The days of just issuing an order and people blindly following it are gone. Yeah, and and, and I, I think it's refreshing to see people questioning things. Now, obviously, there's a balance to how much people would push back or question, but generally it's a good thing on teams and in organisations where people have the ability, it's called psychological safety, that they are safe to to ask questions about how we're doing things, could we do things differently, could we do things better? Um, so the communication, and, and we, we have a course actually being issued today on digital leadership and literacy, because in the last two years, specifically when we've been working with managers, I'm finding a trend that there's a bit of fear around digital literacy. And what I mean by that is the ability to use Zoom and not just to click on a link and join. I'm talking about really leading the way with Zoom, which managers are going to have to do with Microsoft Teams, with all the other platforms to be able to 
get a good engaging meeting going to be able to, you know, really use those platforms to the best of their ability. And a lot of managers, I find, you know, they want people back in the office. And when you ask them why, they say, because I can see them, we can share ideas, we can. And there is a certain amount of that. There's physical exchange of ideas. But it's certainly not the full story. I think the other part of the story is fear that managers and sometimes leaders, they're not fully as as um, literate with technology mm. as they might might be. Is there an um, amount though, Monica, is there an amount of, for want of a better term, control freakery? As in, uh, you know, you're, why do you want to do your job at home three days a week and be in here just two days? Why can't you be in here five days? And to which the response is, but you give me tasks to complete. They're completed. What does it matter if I'm doing them on the moon? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and this is where I think the great, you know, shift is coming in management that we're going to have to get to grips with. Um, and, and it is scary. You know, we are, we're coming from a model that's over 100 years old where we can see people, they show up physically somewhere. Um, and we can see them. But the, the truth of it is, I think, PJ, like a lot of people weren't fully productive in work for those five days a week um, from the nine to five. So, you know, why not let people sort of batch their productivity into shorter spurts of time or whatever works for them and let them be at the school gates to pick up their kids or let them be cooking mm. their 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 dinner or whatever, ringing in a wash or putting out something or visiting a family member at lunchtime. You know, there's there's uh, there's wins in this for all of us yeah. if we can kind of set aside some of our own pre, pre you know, kind of pre-cooked expectations yeah. of what it means to be at work. I've talked a lot about um, what I call, and I think a lot, I, th- I, I spoke to the director of Shopify. You'll have heard of them. Mm, um, yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan myself of task-based working. And what I mean by that is, Monica, in, in my day, I have, let's say, I have eight tasks to complete. Sure. And if I can complete those eight tasks in between running to the school, in between taking a walk with my dog, and maybe if I can get them all done by four and not five, then that should be perfectly fine. Absolutely, 100% agree. And I'll tell you, PJ, part of the reason I left work and started my own business was I felt my time wasn't my own. I was 32 years of age. I had to ask permission for three or four people to go to the bank to do some personal business. And I just thought, no, I've had enough of this. I'm I'm 32. I'm a good worker. I'm trustworthy. Mm. I'm not on the DOS. And yet I have to jump through all these hoops yeah. to get permission to go. That day is over. You're, not, you're just not going to get staff mm. if they're... Because I'll give you one example. I'm working with a client in the UK. I'm trying to help them recruit some senior people. And they got some really good CVs in. And the, the HR person made, you know, initial calls to them just to kind of suss them out and see if they come in for interview. And when I spoke to her um, a couple of days later, she said all but one of them had pulled out, had, had you know, kind of t- taken their CVs off the table. And I was really surprised because it was a really good job, really good pay and everything. And I said, God, what was the reason for that? And she said, they all asked, was there any option, opportunity for flexible working or remote working? Mm. And, the, you know, the, her, her management, the management had, or the, the senior leader, the owner of the business ultimately had said, no, they wanted the person in the office five days a week. And everybody pulled out, bar one person who subsequently pulled out as well. So it is, it is the employer is in charge here. So mm. I guess the handbook is just kind of a little support document to, to say to the managers, How- look, don't panic. Mm. You know, there is ways around this. How, how to be a better boss is a simplification of the title, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. I should have, I should have consulted you in advance. <laughs> but the reason, the reason for the handbook was that I, I read a lot, and what bothers me about some books is that they flip up in your face. You know, when you're reading, yeah. you're trying to have your conflicts or everything, and they kind of flip back up in your yeah. face. Whereas this is is a handbook, so you can actually, you know, you can carry it, you can yeah. write on it, you can scribble on it. It's 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 that sort of design, and, and it's then the very new easy to read is, and very easy to get through it, and and and. Well, thank you. You know, it really and is. And a lot of sense in it, too. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And and I've just um, just managed to get it into two bookshops last week. So the Middleton Middleton Books in Middleton stock have, have a couple of copies and as do Formoy Books in Formoy. Mm. And then it's available on our website, www.monier.com. M-O-N-E-R-E, so, okay, great. I, I will mention yeah. that again as to where it is. And uh, is it available as an e-book? It is, yeah. It's available as an ebook as well. Um, it's we can we can send it. To, we we have it actually on the website as well, so it can be downloaded from there either, whichever suits people. Um, yeah. And look, thank you for the for the opportunity to talk about it. I hope it's of use to people. You know, there's a lot of stiff stuff coming from America and Europe, and I think we have a good handle on it here ourselves in Ireland. Mm. So it's nice. To, you know, it's it has an Irish perspective to it. Um, you'll see some references in there to Irish culture as opposed to the usual baseball that we find. Yeah. Um, it's more like you're more likely to see a reference to GA games or to our own our, our own um, culture here in Ireland so I hope people appreciate it and I hope they enjoy it Excellent, listen, thank you very much, good to speak with you and good luck with the book that's Dr Monica Murphy, the author of a book called The Manager's Handbook for a New World of Work which as I said she could also subtitle How to Be a Better Boss uh, but the idea that in 2022 that if you're trying to hire someone and they say well the job could be done from home a bit so I'd like to do it from home a bit and if you're going to say no that's not going to happen I need you in the office five days a week then you're not going to get that person and the work-life balance I don't know about you if you have any thoughts on it I'd love to hear from you Um, did your work-life balance become more important to you during the pandemic you know the idea that right I've got all my jobs done now it's only what 20 to 1 you know what, let's run around the block with the dogs uh, and I'll come back and I'll do a take my lunch then and we'll start again at two o'clock and everything's done, no problem. And sure, if they want me, they can ring me. Yeah. Your work-life balance, has that become more important to you during the course of the last couple of years? Speaking of work, who do you think is the best they are at what they do? They're back. They're back. We had so much fun with these over the last couple of years and they're back for 2022 I speak of the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards we're looking for Best Breakfast Best Barber Best Tradesperson Takeaway Beauty Salon Hotel Burger Pizza Best Business on Instagram straight away I know who I'm nominating for Best Burger tell you now I know who I'm nominating but you can go to 96FM.ie can do the nomination and this year there's a 5,000 euro media campaign from Cork's 96 FM. It's the best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers electricians and much more. Brought to you only on Cork's 96 FM. 0818 96 96 96. I did tell you earlier on and I promise I'll do it before we're finished today Catherine who spoke to me on Friday morning about her mum 
and dad, but her mom in particular, they're in their 80s. And they were going through Dublin Airport. They had flown in from Dusseldorf. They had wanted to get a wheelchair, at least one wheelchair, I think, from mom. And when they got, they booked it all. They'd signed up for it all, as you're supposed to. And when they got off the plane in Dublin, there was no wheelchair and no sign of one being provided. So they, they toddled off, as they, as you do, eventually, in sheer frustration, trying to make their own way through the, the airport. And mom got knocked over on one of these travelator walks um, by what seems to have been someone else's suitcase. And when they got her home to Cork, they discovered she'd broken her arm. We sent a statement, or sent a question, rather, a couple of questions to... Dublin Airport Authority on the foot of that and we did get a response back and I'll give you that definitely before we before quitting time today 0818 96 96 96 I want to talk about Disability Power Ireland, it's a new festival and I'm joined by Catherine Gallagher to tell me more about it, Catherine good morning to you Hello PJ good morning, thanks so much for having us Delighted to do so, this is a new festival running for I think the entire month of July. Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, And this is something that, to the best of our knowledge, hasn't been done before. So the festival is part of Disability Pride Month, which is an internationally recognised Pride Pride Month for disabled people. But it's not something that has really been embraced or adopted or celebrated here in Ireland in in a big way. And earlier this year, uh, we formed as a group um, Disability Power Ireland, and we are a cross-impairment, grassroots, disabled persons organisation, which means that we are entirely run and led by disabled people. And we use arts and culture in particular as a vehicle to express ourselves and to hopefully instigate change and change perception ultimately and the festival is while we're new and it's it's been an ambitious project Mm. it's it's something that's entirely new and it's exciting you're 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 setting out Catherine I think to to challenge accepted models and challenge accepted views are you that's it that's it entirely and at the center of everything that we do pg is something called the social model of disability which is i suppose it's a belief system and and it's an outlook and a worldview on disability that says that okay so myself i'm i'm a physically disabled person and i'm disabled by attitudes by legislation by policy by physical spaces that aren't accessible, um, issues that you're seeing there for, for like transport. Um, I, I'm disabled by things that can be changed but are out of my control. And disability isn't a dirty word. And, and I suppose we, sometimes we get told that you can't say you're disabled or you, you know, you're, you're differently abled or you have special abilities. What we're saying is disability isn't a dirty word. And yeah. being disabled is is a part of human diversity, and it's not something we should be afraid of, or afraid to talk about, or afraid to embrace. Mm. And I suppose, personally speaking, I I've been involved in 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 policy change and the legislative change, and this is a new uh, way for me uh, to, to be involved in the movement through through a more creative 
fresh way of of uh, dealing with these issues. So the social model is really at the heart of everything we do, and it's um, we we so we in the committee. The committee is 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 made up of around fourteen people, mm-hmm. and we're all different ages and. We would have grown up alongside what's known as the medicalized model of disability, which yeah. says that you know your your body is something that has to be cured, uh, that this is an individualized issue, that we treat it, we treat it, we we you know treat it and and talk about it in a clinical way. But actually, what we're seeing is what probably what gets us down and and what are the barriers to us aren't necessarily the diagnosis on a piece of paper that we have, but it's things in our community and in our country, in our systems, in the spaces and how we talk about disabled people. Mm. That's what holds us back. It's not our body, so to speak. And Mm. through art and culture, uh, we're, we're trying to communicate that. Yeah, things like music and art and drama and stuff. And I, this is quite personal to me, Catherine, because my, my son my son has a disability. And um, his at his age, which is nearly 25, the no, his knowledge and understanding of music is almost frightening. And that's his superpower. And I think yeah. what you're doing is so important. All the people you represent have their own individual superpower. Here's the opportunity for them to show and exploit and use it. That's it. And it's it's about, you know, it's about recognising it as well. I suppose in, in a lot of advocacy work, uh, we might, in other spaces and in other groups, we exist for non-disabled people, you know, in other spaces where, where we might educate and raise awareness for for non-disabled people to, to bring them along with us, to bring them to where we are. And it's not so much about us catching up, it's it's about bringing people to, to where we are. Mm. Um, but I suppose uh, DPI, for, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's different in that we, we had our launch on, on Friday uh, online we had a great turnout and it's one of the things that that came up was disabled joy and I suppose that we, we mightn't believe that there can be joy in our identities and in mm. our community mm. and I suppose with the medicalized model and, and like I was saying you know a lot of us particularly maybe in rural Ireland I'm from Ackle Island and Mayo myself and growing up as the only disabled child in the village and not, you know, growing up with people that, that look like you or, or that have similar experiences to you can be very difficult. Mm. And sometimes it's only in adulthood that we reflect and we look back on that and, and acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But I suppose D- DPI is, is different that we're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're holding space for ourselves um, whereas maybe in, in other spaces, it's it's about you know very sort of heavy, hard, um, heavy and hard, you know, the, the nitty gritty yes. of, of of change. And we're tr- we're trying to do that in our own way, but it's as much about holding space for ourselves yes. as a community as is about showing to our non-disabled peers and friends that you know we deserve to hold space sure. and we deserve to be here and, and then this, this is how we're doing it. Stay there for me, Catherine, because I want to bring in Mariam Madani. 
Um, you're the chair and founder of Disability Power Ireland. Mariam, uh, welcome. You've got a number of key uh, events in the course of the festival. One is on 23rd July, you have an open mic night with the Chicago Disability Pride Parade. That looks like a biggie. Good morning. Hi, CJ. Thank you so much for having us on. Yes, that is indeed one of the highlights of the whole month. Um, on the uh, Saturday, the 23rd, uh, we've linked in with Chicago Pride Parade um, to do uh, an open mic night with them. They're actually hosting us and we'll be having some uh, a whole mix of, um, you know, some spoken words, some music, some uh, poetry, and uh, it should be a really good night. Yeah. And, uh, yes, we've been linked in with them from the beginning. And my understanding then, in that, if I'm reading this correctly, Mariam, that you'll have an open mic night here in Ireland, but that'll actually be part, that'll be, if you like, through the medium of online, that'll be a Chicago event. Yes, wow. that's the amazing thing about Zoom, isn't it? You can connect that's with brilliant. all over the world. Yeah. That's brilliant. You have a few more as well. You've got a, a, um, a couple of different ones if you want to go through them for me. Yes, so um, some of the highlights include uh, Saoirse's comedy gig. Uh, Saoirse is our secretary and she's organised the comedy gig that she's emceeing with a headliner, Therese Cahill, and a few special guests. And that is one of our only in-person events. Um, that one is on in Bowlane Social on Wednesday the 13th of July at 7pm. And um, that is one of our only ticketed events where generally the whole thing we have absolutely no funding for. This is a group of uh, all, fully all, the whole committee is all disabled people um, working entirely on our own initiative uh, to show how much we can do. And um, that, so, so that is the only one that is ticketed just to cover the cost of the venue. Uh, so that Searship's comedy gig is one of the highlights. Um, we have um, Gorania, our, who's also on the committee. She's doing a theatre workshop on the 12th, uh, Tuesday the 12th of July. And that would be online, we think. It could also be have an element in Dublin Pride Hub. We did, a, we did an event with them earlier on in June. And um, let me see, There's, th- today we have Roisin. Uh, Roisin is an intellectually disabled self-advocate and she's incredibly uh, eloquent and she uh, organised this whole event. Um, it's uh, focusing on a beginner's guide to the UNCRPD, which is the United, uh, sorry, the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Yes. Uh, yes. And, um, and just to say on that, Ireland is the last country in the EU to ratify the UNCRPD. Absolutely. So, yeah, so Absolutely. it's no... It's no um, surprise. That we are we are laggards. <laughs> it's no behind that we're surprised on uh, celebrating Disability Pride Month, which is internationally recognised. It started in the US uh, in the nineties, and um, with Chicago Pride Parade started in the nineties, uh, and it's even uh, celebrated in South Africa, in uh, the UK, in Italy. Um, so we're hoping to, in a way, we were inspired by an international movement, but we've also added an extra element with uh, power. So we've called it. Ourselves Disability Power Ireland, and the power is um, to also, while we're celebrating the joy of being disabled as an identity, we're also want we also want to highlight, um, as Catherine said, all of the barriers uh, that prevent our mm-hmm. participation in society. So as well as joy, there's also a lot of anger 
frustration um, and, and difficulty mm. with being disabled yeah. that we have to acknowledge. We don't want to sugarcoat disability and say that being disabled um, is just a light, fluffy thing because yeah. it's, it's not. And that's a, the strength of our community then is in coming together, uh, finding strength, uh, joy and beauty in each other and mm. uh, lifting each other up. So in a way, it's good that this hasn't been celebrated yet because we had an opportunity then to make sure it was done in the right way mm. by disabled people themselves, led entirely in the way that we want to be seen um, for from the ground up. One of the most profound things uh, I heard said in the last number of years was by a friend of mine who, who has a, a particular disability and, and she put it really well. She said, do you know, PJ, you, you have no problem living in a world built for me. Yeah. I have problems living in a world built for you. Yes. Absolutely. That's exactly it. That, that really hit the nail on the head. And, um, and just to say um, about your son as well, uh, we're very uh, open, collaborative. We work with any disabled person. We um, are, you know, are open for membership for anyone for free. Uh, we're a, a disabled persons organisation, a grassroots uh, for all that reason. So he'd be very welcome to come on board if he was interested. He'll, he'll be on a holiday at the time, but is if <laughs> your invitation is most kind. Yeah, most kind. Um, I look forward to it, the events. Disability Power Ireland, I imagine, will lead people to find anything they want to find. Yes. Um, so we're it's up on the website, disabilitypride.ie. Uh, we're, we're always updating our event listings up there and we'll have the full festival programme released soon. Uh, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. At the moment, we're setting up our Instagram too. So you can look us up there. Um, that might be the best way. And yes, uh, the, the same thing that goes for, for Sean, for, for your son, goes for anyone listening to this who's disabled and would like to get involved. Okay, thank you very much. That's Catherine Gallagher and Miriam Madani from Disability Power, Disability Pride Ireland, that festival running for the whole month of July. 0818 96 96 96. They did it for the staff. Dermot Kennedy up at Apple Cork yesterday. Nice. Uh, which poses the question, what's the best perk of your job? My boss reckons that the biggest perk of my job is that I still have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I work for a major hotel group here in Cork and when I'm going to Dublin we can go to our other sister hotels and stay for free. Nice. Take care of Very nice. That's stuff. That's right. nice. A hotel room up in Dublin is about 5 million euro. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. For, for a night out. I work in Jackie Lennox's lads. Say no. Hey. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Happy 4th of July, by the way, to any of our US listeners or Americans maybe living in Cork or indeed on our overseas listenership. We get quite a lot of listens to... Our overnight repeat, for example, between 3 and 5 a.m., that's kind of evening time in parts of the United States. We get quite a lot of listeners over there, and we 
have many responses from the States to our various podcasts that go up during the day. So to anyone of our US-based listeners or Americans living in Cork, happy 4th of July to you all. 0818-969696. The good news, weather-wise, I was telling you earlier on, I was sitting down at the Elton John concert on Friday night. Wonderful, wonderful gig. Oh my God, I was sitting there in the stand in Parky Cueve with a fleece on me on the 1st of July and thinking, now this is mad. This is bonkers. And then looking at the various predictions, it does look as if summer is finally coming our way this week. Between Eleanor Riley at Carlo Weather, uh, who has been looking into next week and thinking it could get very hot, but no promises just yet. The one thing's for sure is that it's going to get quite warm before the end of this week. We're looking at uh, tomorrow, an improvement, another improvement Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. You're looking at temperatures in the low to mid 20s. Sunday in particular has a UV index up to six or seven. So a very sunny week ahead. That's according to the Dark Sky app. The British Met Office. We're also suggesting this morning, I was hearing on a British radio station, that um, next week could get quite hot in parts of the UK. We just have to watch that as it happens. But what will happen is, as soon as it gets hot, people will head towards the coast and head towards the water. And it's very hard to blame them because we waited long enough for an opportunity to get into the water without freezing the backsides of ourselves. But with that comes danger. And that's why we wanted to catch up with the Coast Guard. Michal O'Toole is operations manager. And Michal, I guess with a weather forecast like that for the week and maybe week and a half ahead, you get a bit nervous of what people might do and you want them to be very, very careful. Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, PJ, and, and thanks for having me uh, on your show this morning. Yes, I suppose, look, I suppose, uh, like so many others, uh, we welcome the fine weather, as you've said. It seems to finally be turning towards a more summer-like conditions. Uh, and uh, again, people uh, will be heading towards the coast and our, our uh, coastal areas, mm. our beaches, and, and out to sea and enjoying the, the excellent amenities that, that, that Ireland has to offer in that respect. And, uh, you know, we, we in the Coast Guard hope that people will uh, will, will enjoy their, their times uh, along those amenities and using those amenities but always we just caution that people would adopt a common sense approach uh, when heading to the coast, uh, when going out to sea. And there's just a number of very brief principles that kind of can assure and ensure that that time is uh, well spent and, and is enjoyed by, by the public. Um, so, you know, for us, there's kind of a few key, key areas we'd like the public to mm-hmm. focus on. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of that. You know, we'd ensure and ask that the public just check their equipment. Uh, so if they are going to sea or even walking along our coast, that they have equipment that's that's appropriate uh, to, to the, the activity they've, they, they have planned for the day. That a plan is made, you know, that uh, even if you're in a locality that you think you may know well or in mm. a bay or an area that you frequent regularly, that you would make a plan, that you would have a means of alerting. 
um, the emergency services should you or someone you know or indeed someone you see get get into distress uh, and that you know you share your plan you share the time that you're uh, intending to head out mm. and intending to return with a member of, of your family or another friend and always when you're at sea always wear a life jacket or a buoyancy aid or a personal mm. flotation device that's appropriate to your activity and this would be I guess around any particular body of water Michal like beach river lake wherever you need to put these safety provisions in place. Yeah, indeed, PJ, you make a very good point. It's it's not only the coast, you know, people will be frequenting our, our river areas as well, also some inland lakes. And, you know, the same good principles and good rules apply. Um, in the Coast Guard, we, we've noticed a, a kind of a steady uh, trend in terms of the number of incidents. We've had over 1,200 incidents this year to, to date, which would be broad, broadly along the, the, the trends that we would expect. But we have noticed, you know, maybe a slight increase in trends around vessels and, and personal water craft uh, becoming disabled so people may have not taken their craft out for some time and mm. we just ask people to, to check over their equipment and make sure that's appropriate for the task yeah. there are excellent supports in that uh, the department and, and government have an excellent code of practice for the safe operation of recreational craft that can provide some guidance in that area as well so just as as you say it's not only restricted to, to coastal areas but that people would would adopt that common mm. sense approach local knowledge is key if you're frequenting an area that you may not have frequented yourself previously you know reach out uh, to the lifeguards reach out to the coast guard units or mm. indeed the, the rnli units in that area and just ensure that you have that local knowledge that you need um you know conditions do change from from bay to bay yeah. and even across very short distances a couple of things to watch for on on beaches i i, I dread them i i see them every summer lilos um and, and inflatables and small children up on top of them that's asking for trouble well, indeed, you know, the Coast Guard, like with our colleagues and in Water Safety Ireland, indeed the RNLI, we would strongly advise people not to use those toys, and they are toys uh, yeah. for, for kind of water-based activity, either, as you say, in, in the rivers and lakes or offshore. Uh, they're designed, uh, you know, maybe for uh, kind of holiday settings in terms of, rec- uh, of of swimming pools and those type of areas, and, and they're certainly not appropriate uh, for, mm. for particularly offshore activities, and we do have a number of incidents, some of them quite regrettable every year. So again, if people can just maybe avoid those type of, of, of devices. Mm. Children are attracted to them. They're quite easy to pick up as you proceed to the beach. Uh, but we just caution against their use uh, this, this summer. And another thing, um, even though the weather is, is improving, thankfully, the water is still quite cold and can overwhelm you if you're not used to it in a matter of seconds. Well, indeed, you know, um, and it goes back to planning, uh, as I've said, you know, if you're swimming in an area that you're not familiar with or indeed swimming in an area that you are familiar with, you know, to have a friend along to, to review the conditions, to review the tidal conditions um, and to also just consider the sea temperatures are getting towards their, their highest uh, that we would experience around Irish coasts at the moment, 14, 15 degrees. But that's still relatively cold and, and hypothermia, if you're not used to sea swimming, uh, can can set in quite quickly. So, you know, just, just to, to, to be be cautious around that and to realise that prolonged exposure in the water uh, can maybe result in, in, in hypothermia. So again, planning is key. Alcohol and water do not mix. Except in a glass. Um, uh, I, I think, PJ, that's that's fair to say. I, I think any type of, of um, substance that might inhibit your decision making and your review of risk 
um, maybe should be avoided also. You know, I think you need, as, as the old saying goes, you need your wits about you when, mm. when engaging in, in these activities. And indeed, I suppose, to get the most out of the excellent amenities we have, as I've said earlier, mm. you know, I think it's probably best enjoyed without those type of, 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 um, of substances. Lastly, Michal, we had a, a tragic incident, um, was it about 12 months ago, where a lad uh, fell into a blowhole um, down in County Cork and I've spoken to him both his, his, his mum since but those blowholes are everywhere and they're lovely to come across and watch and see and, 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 and marvel at the power of the sea crashing in under them but they're very dangerous and be careful of them yeah, well, I, I suppose initially, PJ, we would, you know, continue to pass on our sympathies to yes. the family in that very tragic circumstance. And indeed, the, the local community there in West Cork, which, which I understand were very affected by that tragedy. But as you say, we are blessed in Ireland with very dramatic coastlines and coastal features. And it comes from the intensity of the weather that we have along our coasts. But those features are, are quite treacherous and dangerous. And uh, again, it comes back to, and I know I may have said it a number of times already mm. on the interview, but it's about that planning and, yeah. and local knowledge and and really those areas should only be, uh, should, should not be approached and, and, and they are treacherous and dangerous. You know, what it might appear as a solid ground or a ground where you have sure footing mm. can be undermined, can be eroded by the sea and, and that can, can lead to, to, to kind of very tragic outcomes. All right. Michal, thank you. And I hope that you have a quiet week ahead as the weather improves. That's Michal O'Toole, Operations Manager with the Coast Guard. And as the weather improves, just be careful out there. Let, let me not be reporting on any tragedies this day next week or any time over the weeks to come. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. Hope for the Homeless will be having a street collection between 11am and 6pm on Saturday the 16th and 30th of July and are looking for volunteers to help out. Based on Shandon Street, the charity provides clothing, toiletries, food hampers, emergency accommodation and much more to the homeless and those struggling financially. If you can spare an hour to support the collection on Patrick Street, contact Gillian on the Hope for the Homeless Facebook page. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie Going back to that statement we got from Dublin Airport Authority, I'll bring it to you after I talk to Stephen. So, <clears throat> just take a minute or two to go through it when we've done with uh, Stephen Cronin because I want to congratulate Stephen Cronin. Uh, Stephen is the chef de party at the Bayview Hotel in Ballycotton. And he is now an ambassador for BIM. And to talk about what that's going to entail, uh, he joins me now. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. And congratulations. You are one of five chefs who are to become ambassadors to Bordish Guara. Tell me about that. What's it entail? Yeah, so it entails working alongside um, producers along the Wild Atlantic Way. We go up and we be paired with uh, maybe it could be a smoked salmon could be the burn smokehouse could be an oyster farm along the way and up at the end of the, the the couple of months we have to come up with a dish that involves their product and showcases that and shows our journey and I suppose along that we get taught by the likes of as all in your listeners know uh, who JP McMahon is oh, he's yeah. an air restaurant up in Galway spoken to and him we did a yeah, we did a. We were actually up with him there two or three weeks ago in his restaurant, like getting a day inside in the kitchen with him. And for any young chef, that's probably that's probably a dream to get six hours of his time to spend a day with him, going through what he does and 
passing on his knowledge to us and getting up for us to pick his brain on mm. what he does. Yeah, I mean, the, the Wild Atlantic way and what little of it I've been along at this point, Stephen, the one thing about it is you're, you're looking out there at the Atlantic and the variety and quality of seafood that's out there is unmatched, isn't it? Oh, it's second to none, really. Like You have some of the best produce in in Europe, if not the world, just on our coast and our shoreline. Like, and for us to not use that, really, it's kind of a sin. Do you know that kind of way? Like, mm. why we're not more educated about it and why we're not using it to its full potential mm. is kind of beyond belief when we we're still we importing fish. To, and we don't seem to do enough with it at all. How did you get into chefing yourself, Stephen? How long you did? I was gro- growing up in Ballycotton, like... I would have always had fish and seafood around me. We would have had friends and neighbours that would have been into hunting, so they would have had pheasants and the likes come into the kitchen. We would have been picking crabs since I was a young fella. Yeah. Um, and then I started, I suppose, the day I finished my junior cert, I started in a restaurant. It was Pier 26 under Colin Hennessy, who would have who, who would have taught me a good bit. Um, that was, what, six years ago. Right. Um, I'm now under Kieran Scully down in the Bayview, and he's, he's also my lecturer in CIT, and... Everyone in the Bayview Kitchen has done their stint or is in currently in CIT. Right. MTU Clark, I suppose. MTU it is now, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I guess when you get into it as a young person like that, it, it's all... Is this is this your dream gig, Stephen, to be a... a yeah, I suppose anyone who knows me really would, would have always said I was into cooking or like even the last day of primary school, like I would have made a big cake for the whole school and... Yeah, like everyone would have would have said, "Oh, yeah, this fellow is he's mad. For, he's mad for food anyway, and he's yeah. mad for the cooking." So it was always kind of what I wanted to do. I never really wanted to pursue anything else. Kind of. Now so. this this work that you'll be doing with the other with with the other ambassadors, it'll all culminate at the Galway International Festival in September. Tell me about that. Yeah, and that's that's where we'll showcase our uh, final dish that we've been paired with our producer. And we'll talk about that to all the gang at the dinner on that night in the up at the start of the Galway Oyster Festival. Mm. Um, so will it be a new dish that you're looking to work on, or will it be just a, a take on an older on, on a traditional dish, or what else? It, it it could be it could be anything really. Like so, we just have to decide what we want to do. And I'm still waiting to be paired with a producer. So once I know that myself, I'll be able to either decide whether I want to yeah. take a dish and replicate it, yeah. or whether yeah. I want to come up with my own ideas. Yeah. And, have, uh, have you have, I mean, have you any ideas yourself for what you'd like to do? I'd be fond of oysters, and I think right. they're they're a great um, a great seafood to to work with, and they're quite a tricky one to to come up with. So I suppose in that sense, it'll be challenging. To come up with something new and exciting for that, but I suppose you thrive off that challenge that wouldn't you'd be you presented with then. You, you know what, Stephen? We might talk again later in the year, uh, around yeah. the time maybe of the, the International Festival. Look forward to seeing what you turn out. Um, as someone who loves my seafood, I can't wait to try the various dishes that you guys come up with if I get any opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely, you'll have to call down to the bay of your belly cotton there. That's not a bad over idea. Over the next few weeks. That's not a bad idea. We'll look, we look after you, PJ, don't worry. Stephen, thank you very much. Stephen Cronin from the Bayview Hotel Ballycotton, which is a beautiful, beautiful hotel. The location is just stunning. And he's a new ambassador for Board Ishki Wara. And he'll be working with Rebecca Sweeney from Sligo, Ronan Byrne from Drogheda, Robin Martin 
from Kerry, uh, Torrin Small from Loch Erne, and uh, there's one or two others in there as well. Thank you for that. Stephen, 0818969696. Right, let's do this. Friday morning, I spoke with Catherine, uh, whose mother and father had been flying home from Dusseldorf in Germany. Uh, they're both in their 80s. And in reasonably good health, very independent travellers, but as you can imagine, being in their 80s, a little bit frail. So they done what they do. They booked a wheelchair, uh, access to a wheelchair. And they'd done it as you have to do before you travel. They'd done it from the Dusseldorf to Dublin leg. And then the hope was that they'd get a wheelchair coming off the plane in Dublin, through Dublin Airport, sort out the bags and out with them through the airport. And you book all that. If you know anything about travelling, you book all that in advance. However, they got to the airport um, and there was no wheelchair. So after waiting around and it becoming obvious that no wheelchair was going to turn up, they decided to make their own way through the airport uh, in the course of which Catherine's mum had an unfortunate incident and she ended up with a broken arm. And as you can appreciate, Catherine was upset. Her mom is upset. To break your arm at that age can be life-changing and it takes away your independence and you get fearful and the whole thing. So we spoke to Catherine on the programme on Friday and subsequently Fergal sent off a number of questions to the Dublin Airport Authority to see what they had to say for themselves about the fact that when these this couple landed at the airport that there was no wheelchair for them. And they sent us back uh, quite a, a lengthy statement with a bit of detail in it that kind of bears no relevance to the question, but that's the nature of statements. But they did say that their partner, OCS, provides a full assistance service across the Dublin Airport campus for those with reduced mobility requirements. And they go through a list of what is available. At present then, it says the high levels of passenger volumes being experienced at Dublin Airport are leading to a very high level of demand for the assistance services provided by OCS. We're working closely with OCS on the deployment of several key measures which aim to ensure this critical service remains appropriately available to all passengers who require it. This includes placing visible OCS officers at all key entry points, again, etc., etc., a lot of stuff. One of the main challenges being experienced is that close to 40% of those arriving have not advised their airline of their requirements before their arrival. Well, that doesn't apply in this particular case because Catherine's parents had done just that. And then, again, there's more detail that kind of isn't relevant to the question that we asked. The carriage of wheelchairs on board an aircraft or in the hold of the aircraft and the return of the wheelchair to the wheelchair user is the responsibility of the passenger's airline. So that was the statement effectively telling us, if I'm drilling it down correctly, and I wouldn't want to be unfair at the same time, that OCS, who are the providers, and you've seen them. If you see a wheelchair in an airport, it usually has that little logo on it, OCS at the side. That's the, 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 the company that provides. They seem to be overwhelmed at the moment, just like everything else in Dublin Airport seems to be overwhelmed at the moment. And there just wasn't a wheelchair there. Now, they suggest that you book in advance. We know that Catherine's parents had done just that. So there you go. 
That is the response back from Dublin Airport Authority. 0818 96 96 96. 0818 96 96 96. Now we've talked uh, over the last while, particularly over the last year and a bit, quite an amount about the growing drag scene in Cork because there's a thriving and a flourishing drag scene in Cork and it's kind of no wonder that there would be given that Cork was the birthplace of probably the greatest drag artiste of all time the great Danny LaRue but one young drag artist from Cork now based in Scotland uh, has been achieving big time not just as a performer but as uh, a positive role model and, uh, in Scotland and an, amba- an ambassador for LGBT youth Scotland. I speak of Chichi Monroe. Did we speak before? Good morning to you. Hiya BJ. I think we had, but I think it was outside radio. I think it was just we met uh, one day at, at some event or something. We had a chat years ago. Could have been, could have been. You're in Scotland a little while now, are you? Yeah, I've been here uh, since the week before lockdown. We moved back uh, from Gran Canaria. So we literally just got back before everything got locked down, which Crikey. was lucky in one sense, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. This National Diversity Award, that's a, that's a big thing, even get shortlisted, yeah? Yeah. Uh, like, when I was nominated, I was shocked to even be nominated. But to make it to the shortlist just blew my mind because it was uh, 72,000 votes and nominations. And then it was narrowed down to the top eight in each category. Wow. Um, so thankfully, I got to the top eight. A bit shocked, but delighted. Mm. Who nominated you? Did you nominate yourself? I, I know you don't can. know. Um, I saw, like, once someone nominated, they give you access to a portal. They send you an email saying, "You've congratulations, you've been nominated, and they give you access. So once you go in, it shows a picture of you in your bio of what that person has said about you. Mm. And then you you add in all your information that they ask, and then anytime someone votes for you or votes for you or nominates you, you get the the text basically that they've put in as to the reason why they've nominated you, cool. but you don't actually see the person's name who's actually done it. So so it's been lovely seeing all the nominations and like all the different reasons why people were nominating me. So it's very humbling. <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, Scotland via Gran Canaria, originally from Cork. Give me that particular yes. travelogue. <laughs> uh, did a bit of travel in my time, yeah. I've been a couple other places as well. Uh, but I moved to Scotland originally, I think it was uh, about 2010. And I was here for a couple of years. And then I moved to Gran Canaria. Well, I came home for a couple of months and then went to Gran Canaria. And then right. I spent nearly 10 years over there. Right. Um, so we left Gran Canaria for one year when we went to Benidorm, all right, and that's where the drag started. Originally. Oh, was it there? Well, of where else? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I thought you might we were actually performing. Just yeah, because there's, there's, there's a lot of drag performance in, in the Canary Islands. I thought you might have started there, but, but no, you started in Benidorm. No, I think because of this, yeah, because the thing was moving over to Gran Canaria, I had a lot of friends there anyway because I'd previously lived in Gran Canaria years before. Right. Um, and I think it was a confidence thing with me. I wasn't kind of willing to give it a go in Gran Canaria because I knew too many people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in Benidorm, it was like starting fresh again. So we were like, All right, if we're going to do it, we might as well do it. Yeah. And give it a go. And then when it went well, we went back to Gran Canaria. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you did. Did you, did you perform over there eventually? You did? Yeah, yeah. We we started in Benidorm. We only did a, a couple of weeks, the, the last end of the season. Right. And it's very seasonal work over there. So we yeah. um, decided to go back to Gran Canaria because it's all year round. It's all year round, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and then I got a job in Ricky's Cabaret Bar. So I was there for a couple of years and then I went up to Sparkle Show Bar and I was there till I left. Okay. And like, had you, was drag something that you had started in Cork or did it start? No, no. no. It was totally accidental how it started. Like, I had friends who were drag queens, like my best friend, Miss Bliss, uh, Jason. He was like. Yeah, I'm mad about Jason. Um, but it was never a thing. Like, he never even got me into drag, you know what I mean? Mm. It was like, it wasn't something that was on my radar. It was like, I, lo- I appreciated it and I liked watching it, but it wasn't something that I thought I'd ever get into. Yeah. Um, it just kind of happened by accident in Benidorm and it, we just kind of didn't realize how big of a reaction you get from it and the, the mm. kind of buzz from the audience. Yeah, do you, do you think um, the RuPaul so, stuff has helped to to build it? I mean, there was always a scene in Cork, but do you think that the RuPaul show and stuff have... I think it has to the younger generation, but I think the older generation are kind of against it in one way. But I think, to be honest, there's room for every kind of drag um, because mm. it's after developing and um, it's changed so much. There's so, so many different types of drag now, whereas old school drag was very much kind of comedy, panto day, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's just after evolving so much. But um, I definitely think there's there's room for everywhere, every type of drag in the market. But yeah. there is just so many different types. Yeah, because some, 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 some of them are just singers and, and great singers yeah. at that. Some are comics. Um, yeah. I, I, I was a pal for one time, or one, one period of time. I was quite, quite, quite friendly with, with Mr. Pussy, Alan. Alan Emsby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so I know that kind of an act. I met him a couple of times, actually. You yeah. know, a gas character. Gas character. Yeah, but, but But, like, <laughs> there's so much. And Danny LaRue was just a class act in, in his own way. But everyone, yeah. everyone's different. Um, yeah, and, it, and if you look at Dublin, like Panty and Veda, the yeah. stuff they do for the country is amazing when it comes to, like, LGBT, yeah. the LGBT yeah. community and rights and everything. They're just flying the flag for Ireland for yeah. years. So, in yeah. a way, it's a, it's, a, it's a big, huge achievement for someone like yourself to be nominated oh, for amazing, big yeah. awards like this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I was saying, I was just so shocked to get nominated, but to get to the to the finals is just mind blowing. Like, yeah. So when are they on? I can and feel my accent when, getting stronger when I'm talking to you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I listen, that's 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 just that's just being 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 on a whole. I, I I was half expecting with all the travelling, kind of a half a Scottish bore out here, but no, uh, no, it's not lasted at all. <laughs> No, you never will. You don't, do you? Get rid of a you, you don't, don't want to. <laughs> good, 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 good. So when, when will you know the, the, the outcome of the awards? Uh, the final is on the 16th of September in uh, Liverpool Cathedral. Okay. Um, so like ITV Press and all the UK press are going to be there as well. So a bit daunting, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> good, 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 good. All right, well, good luck with it. Uh, and delighted Thanks to see your, your success. Um, do oh, you have any videos we can watch? Uh, oh, I'm all over the I'm all over YouTube, so you just we Google my you. name and it'll pop up. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to find you. All right, listen. Uh, cheers. I know if you're putting it anywhere, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on getting this far. Maybe we'll talk again later in the year. Chi Chi Munro, uh, from Cork originally, but has been around Benidorm and the Grand Canaria and now lives in Scotland and started doing drag in Benidorm and then performed in Grand Canaria and is now back in Scotland. But a very prestigious nomination um, as an LGBT positive role model. Uh, with the National Diversity Awards in the UK. We'll catch up with Chi Chi later in the year and I must go and have a look at some, some videos. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Am I? Yes, I am. I am a fan of drag. I've 
watched it. I remember Danny LaRue. I remember going to see Danny LaRue. And uh, the great Mr. Pussy was a, was, a, was a pal of mine for a while. And, you know, I've, I've always... I, I love the RuPaul show. It's just daft. But I do, I love it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you'll, uh, uh, oh, come back to the airports. Um, surely airports should have wheelchairs anyway. As any space catering with a lot of people should... I think they should expect the unexpected, especially larger airports, and this surge in customers wasn't exactly unexpected. I hope Catherine's mum heals quickly and takes to independent travel again. Yep, that's following on from our response back from the Dublin Airport Authority, um, who effectively, in their statement, and I'd hate to wrong them, but when you get a statement back, you should know this, when you get a statement back from something like the... Dublin Airport Authority, in response to questions you've asked them. You have to drill into the statement to see are they actually answering the question. Um, and to be fair, they, they kind of did. They didn't answer it in full, but they kind of did. And the answer that we got was that their service provider, which is called OCS, I think it's the same service provider that do it in Cork and, and Shannon, and that, that they were just overwhelmed of late with the number of people applying to have a wheelchair. Because I know someone who travels over and back a number of times a year. Uh, Mary, if you're listening, how are you doing, girl? See you again soon. But uh, would have to book a wheelchair access in advance and have to book mobility aids in advance. And has always said, if you book it in advance and you do it properly, it's very efficient and it works. And Catherine's parents had booked everything through Dusseldorf. The Dusseldorf end was grand into Dublin, no wheelchair, and you know what happened then. And the statement from DAA tells us that they just got a bit overwhelmed and they're doing their best to rectify the situation. So we'll follow that with interest. Uh, Did you see the other story at the weekend? That's ongoing too, where a couple of weeks ago we heard that they were going to ask the army to give a hand in Dublin Airport at certain weekends when they got a little bit overwhelmed. And you see, the one thing the army come with is security clearance. Give them a bit of training and they'll make the whole thing run very efficiently. If you ever want to know how efficient the army can be, think about the vaccine centres. How quickly were you through those? The army had a big hand to play in that. But anyway, over the, over the weekend then I read that the union... SIP2 wasn't overly impressed with the idea of soldiers being brought in to Dublin Airport to sort out the mess. Uh, I think that that discussion is still ongoing. Let me come back to, I forgot completely to do this after talking to Chi Chi. I should remind you that Pride Vibes is uh, online and live as we speak. It's our new online station, playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. And you can join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. You can stream us on the Cork's 96FM website or the app and get more at their own website, pridevibes.ie. It's supported by Valterol, the joy of movement, and you can listen live now with Cork's 96FM. I also see where the Cork Pride Festival, or the Cork Pride Parade, which comes up later in the summer, I See headline performers named for that. Brooks Gullion, who represented Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest this year, is, I see, tipped to perform at Cork Pride. And also, if I'm reading correctly, Nadine Coyle. 0818 96 96 96. 
96 FM. He's the titan in the 10 gallon hat, the global country music giant that is the honorary Irishman, Mr. Garth Brooks. Morning, Garth. <laughs> How are you, sir? Hey, this interview's over. I enjoyed it. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, what is the plan? Do you think you're going to make it down to Cork? Uh, will you get a little helicopter spin down to, down to the south of the country, Garth? We do not do helicopters, but uh, I, we have the time to travel. When, when, when you say you're going to have time to travel, you won't need much time to travel because, you know, like Ireland is the size of one of your malls over there so you'll probably see it in about an hour <laughs> I can tell you this yeah. there won't be a second wasted Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool exclusively Skoda in the city find your next car online at noeldc.com open 24-7 I spoke before to Ennis O'Donovan a kayaker from Cork and uh, I wanted to catch up to see how the career was going. They tell me here you're you're not long back from Nottingham and it's good morning to you. Good morning PJ. Yes um, I arrived home last night around 2am so just back in Irish which uh, is feeling pretty nice. Yeah yeah we, we spoke about how you got into kayaking before but just go through it again for me. Uh, yeah, of course. So four different people suggested in one week. Um, I thought it was a bit too good to be true. So headed down to my local club, West Cork Kayaking Club. Um, they were the first people to introduce it to me. I fell in absolute love with it. And then ever since then, I've been hooked and uh, been training nonstop. Yeah. Were you the only woman in the club at the time? No, there was definitely other women that uh, inspired me um, to keep pushing the limits. Mm. Now, you've done rather well. You're being very modest about it. You were placed eighth in the World Championships. Yes, when? it's still hard to believe. When and where were they on? So they were on um, between the 27th of June and the 2nd of July in Home Pierpont um, in Nottingham in okay. the United Kingdom. Oh, so this just happened then? Yeah, literally just happened. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Tell yeah. me all about that. It was one of the most incredible experiences ever. Um, I was competing on the first day and then made it into quarters, which is the top 20. And that was my goal. I just wanted to make top 20 in the world. And then the next day we had another competition. So it gets cut from 20 people to 10. Mm. And I actually managed to make that as well, uh, which was like mind boggling. I couldn't believe it. I was so happy Mm. and then finished eighth overall, um, which I'm extremely proud of. And is it a time-based course or, or what is it? Is it obstacles? No, so it's freestyle kayaking is gymnastics in a boat and it's performing <laughs> as many tricks and I somersaults as you can in 45 seconds. Okay. Okay. So we stay stationary in the one place to perform the tricks. Oh, this is I've not seen this before and I've seen kayaking in the Olympics where it's a it's it's a course of length and there's obstacles on it but wow. So you, you yeah, it's a, exciting. Christ, I love the way you, gymnastics in a boat. And is it? I mean, there's an there's an Olympics, isn't there? The Olympics is next year, the year after there's an Olympics. Uh, we, is it an Olympic sport, freestyle? No, freestyle kayaking is not an Olympic sport. Um, the Olympic sport would be the likes of slalom, which you made reference to, where they do have a timed course. Yeah, and we, do you do that? Is that something you're interested in? No, it's nothing. It doesn't appeal to me the same way freestyle kayaking does. I think it's a wonderful sport, but just not the right one for me. <laughs> yeah. Now, being eighth in the world, congratulations to you. Um, Thank you. 
one would have thought that you had sponsors beating down your door, but sadly that's not the case. No, sadly, because we're not an Olympic discipline, uh, we don't get any funding from the likes of Sport Ireland or Canoeing Ireland. This year, thankfully, we did get our entry fees paid for by Canoeing Ireland, which was which made a huge, huge difference. But apart from that, everything else is sole funded from flights, accommodation, everything. Right, right. So a sponsor would get, they get stuff like, are you allowed to do things like wear branding, are you, and things like that? Yes, yes. So what's next for you now, eighth in the world from West Cork? What's the next for you? Uh, The next step is the World Cups, which are going to be held in Columbus in America. Mm -hmm. And then the World Championships will be in 2023 in Columbus. And then just keep building on that every year and hopefully keep increasing um, where I place in the world and being my own personal best and just to continue having fun uh, traveling all around the world, doing the sport I love. This was your first goal, though, at a World Championship, and you came in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which so, um, it's a bit bad to think. I take it there's ambition there to do better? Of course, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, I'm extremely proud of where I placed yes. and what I managed to put down, but I also am pretty competitive and I want to keep pushing the boundaries and um, maybe someday we can get a medal on a world stage, which would be which would be incredible. So yeah, so Columbus, Ohio is the ne- when the where the next ones are on in twenty twenty three, correct? Columbus, Georgia, yeah. Oh, Columbus, Georgia. Okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realise there was a Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> I don't think Columbus. <laughs> so and and um, you you would love to have a sponsor there. It would make such a difference. I mean, I'm currently working as well. I've, that's why I've come home so quickly mm. uh, to work and earn a bit of money. Um, but it is incredibly hard to source, you know, your own boats and stuff and then take time yeah. off of work to be able to compete, meaning you have no income, and then pay everything out, like transport, like flights to America, I think will be the biggest issue that we're going to come across as a barrier to be able yeah. to compete this year. Remind me again what it is you do. I know you told me before. I'm a gymnastics instructor, so I teach gymnastics for a living. Hence the gymnastics in the water. The gymnastics in the boat. All (laughs) right, okay. Listen, good luck with it. And if anybody, we've got an eighth in the world, placed eighth in the world at her first attempt at the World Championships, and she needs a sponsor to try to medal at the next set of championships. And it's congratulations. Welcome home. Thank you again, Are you back at work today? Have you got any rest? No, I'm not back at work today. Today is a nice rest day. We're just chilling, I'm unpacking the van and right. um, playing with my dog and stuff like that. So that's, that's uh, it'll be nice and fun too. for today. Congratulations. Absolutely. Enjoy the day and, and thank you so much. And congratulations. That's Anais O'Donovan. Uh, eighth in the world as a kayaker, freestyle kayaker from West Cork, looking for a sponsor. The next world champions are in. I didn't. Did you know there was a, a Columbus, Georgia? I didn't, but there is. I thought it was Columbus, Ohio, but it's Columbus, Georgia in 2023, and she'd like to do better than eighth. She did eighth at her first attempt. She needs a sponsor. Wouldn't it be great if we could help her? And that's your lot. The programme today edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Enjoy the rest of your day. Talk to you tomorrow just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. 
That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 